The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Hooting and a hollering with a five bean chilli. And Minty Booth. A therapeutic treasure deck. And we are chatting about our favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 Mechanical Gaming Keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste Wireless Mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys while ditching the numpad and the F keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection and the precision you need to click heads. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless a terrific twosome to keep your setup clean and clutter-free. So, we are gathered here today to talk about my amendment. We're, we're, we're several amendments deep now, and what have we got? How many have we got left each? Five left each, maybe? Maybe! I believe so, yes. Yeah. Five, six, five? I'm going to say five. One of those. It's a number. Hmm. Certainly a number. It certainly, certainly is, and no one can prove otherwise. I'm looking forward to talking about this game. It's a good one. Well, you know, they all are. That's the thing. That's the problem. That's the problem. They're all really good. Why can't the top 100 be a top 120? Because that would be 20 too many. Too many games. Yeah. No one needs that many games. Let's just stop this now and quit playing games. Because, let's be honest, it's uh, fruitless. <laughs> You've had enough. Well, it's, it's not our fault. There's just too many games in the world. And uh, sadly, many of them are good. Exactly. But what have we played in this last week? Minty, what have you played in this last week? So I've well I've just started a new job so I've not really played as much as I would have liked but on the Switch Bethesda have released a new uh, a new map set for Quake Ah you love that Yeah yeah Quake Terror from 2006 I believe this one is it's an incredible level pack it's expansive it's it's imaginative made by czg aka christian Grauert. probably butchered your name there but it's like you butchered the enemies in his maps well yes yes quite right um, seamless yeah it's one of those ones where it takes all the assets and uses them so creatively and so well one of the things that i i did really really enjoy which i've seen a little bit of chatter about online in map three like it's like Doom, like so. It's got it's got secrets in each level, and the final room is this huge courtyard which you sort of spiral downwards into to get to the end of the level. But eagle-eyed players will realise that there's some geometry that you can sort of jump onto to basically go completely vertically up through the level. Um, I'm doing a really bad job of explaining it, but it's like, have you ever, did you ever play Painkiller? Um, no. I had to think that I, I can see the box, the gruff man, yeah. and the red font and the black box, but no, I never played it. Yeah, so Painkiller's got some really, really insane secrets to it. Like, you'll be walking up a, a shard that's a couple of pixels thick to get right to the top of the level, like almost in the skybox, really. And this third level reminded me of that. It's so esoteric, and all that there was at the end was just a message from the developer. But getting to it felt like a like a real achievement, just because it's not really something that you 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 see in many other quake levels. Having to go on this really, it's just this really weird bit of platforming. Basically, it was it was like it was just a nice little dessert to the main meal of the level. Cutting through enemies, shooting them down, and such as that. 
just a nice little bit of platforming at the end. It was, yeah, it was great fun. I'm very happy to have uh, quick saves, but yeah, a real sense of accomplishment despite not actually achieving a huge amount. Yeah, it's great fun. I, I, if you have it, I definitely re- recommend downloading it. Yeah, all the chatter online, people really love it, blown away by it, and I'm one of them. It's 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 really excellent. Got a bit of um, Puzzle and Dragons under my belt again. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'd have a little, little look at the uh, the level designers, sort of like a a stage maker. As you go through the uh, the main story, you unlock different creatures that you can then place into worlds in in your in your little map. Let's say. And then you can choose what colour orbs show up on your puzzle board. Yeah, I haven't really played around as much as I would like with it, but it seems pretty pretty simple, quite intuitive. Um, yeah. But mainly, I have been playing... I say playing. I've been exercising oh, yes. with my Digimon Vital Bracelet still. I picked up a couple of new... Uh, DIM cards that, that you that you plug a new Digimon into. And I'm very pleased to announce that I am now the proud owner of my all-time favourite Digimon, which is a, um, a lovely plush ex-Tyrannomon, who's like a little ghosty fella who lives inside a plush Tyrannomon toy. Aww. I don't know why I like him so much, but um, I'll send over a, a picture into the group chat at some point, just so you can... Uh, bask in it and enjoy it too <laughs> that's very conscientious of you yeah we can all enjoy the fun together well, you say all of us i mean post it on social media as well oh yeah yeah otherwise it's a very closed room it's not for them jonathan well i don't know i haven't seen it <laughs> it's something to share amongst the o3c family exclusively hmm maybe i'll even start doing digimon of the week to get people hyped up for digimon survive Ooh. fantastic which i found out is coming out on the same day as um as Xenoblade 3. Oh. Yeah. It's, yeah, well, it's, it's certainly going to be a, a big chunk of that next episode because I'm sure you'll be playing Xenoblade and I'm probably going to get balls deep in Digimon Survive. But yeah, yeah. I have been sort of skipping ahead and having a look at what other Digimon are available on other cards. So I've got my X-Taranimon, which is my favourite uh, ultimate level Digimon. I've seen a couple of my favourite Mega evolutions that sounds mega yeah so i think i might curate all of my storage capsules in the companion app just with all of my favorites and just bring them out when i want to have a look at them mm. yeah so it's really interesting because they've got you've got the little sort of sprite work that's on your watch bigger sprite work that's on the app but then you get to the encyclopedia part and it's got all the original artwork so all the so you've got three three levels of enjoyment when you just want to look at something that you like that's what we all want uh yeah that's it for me really yeah just just been exercising, playing little things here and there, and and working. Well, there we go. You said that you had had a great sense of accomplishment whilst not actually achieving much in uh, in one of those games. And I've had the opposite. No, actually, no, I'm not. I've achieved a huge amount uh, because <laughs> I... <laughs> and, and, and the sense of satisfaction is palpable because I have... Well, as you know, as of last week, I cracked the final boss of Sekiro. Madman. So what do you do when you finally crack the final boss of Sekiro? You play the game four more times in successively (laughs) harder iterations. You mad lad. (laughs) Why, though? So I spoke last week, and I mentioned there were different endings in the game. There was especially... There's one that leads you on a slightly different side quest with a couple of bosses that I hadn't fought before. 
and the sort of the main boss of that side quest is possibly as hard as the final boss and and I thought it was going to be insurmountable for a little while until I you know started to get that just that little glimpse through his attacks which gave me a better hope yeah and a few tries later I bested him and that was thrilling and very fortunately my strategy for the final boss of the game worked a treat second time round so he didn't give me too much trouble and I was safe to set off on my third playthrough and uh, I realized something on this playthrough that I basically I didn't need to do as much in a playthrough to take advantage of it so I'd said before that like your, your general vitality your health and your posture that caps out after your first playthrough and the way you increase that usually is by gathering an item called prayer beads which you typically get from fighting the mini bosses in the game or finding there's a few of them hidden around the world and every four prayer beads makes a prayer necklace that increases your vitality but in your new game plus playthroughs all of those prayer beads uh, in the game are replaced by just sacks of coin and given that I spent all the money I needed to on like fully upgrading all of my weapons and that sort of stuff I had absolutely no reason to fight the mini-bosses at all. In fact, I had no reason to fight any enemy that wasn't one of the main bosses. Yeah. So I could just charge my way through the areas, avoiding everyone, get to the next Sculptor's Idol. Sculptor's Idols are like the, the bonfires in this game. And then, yeah, rush on through to the proper bosses because you beat a proper boss, and there's only about a dozen of them, maybe, and you get a memory of that boss and when you confront that memory you get an attack boost and you get your attack boosts even in new game plus and that's really essential because obviously all the enemies are getting harder as well but it meant that i got to the end of my third playthrough incredibly quickly the endings just lend just such an incredible weight to the lore in the game I've had such a great time just pouring over every aspect of the game. It's absolutely marvellous. Like, I was watching a speedrun of it today, doing all the bosses and getting all the prayer beads. And somebody did it at AGDQ in 2020, when there were still people in the room. And it was a great watch, and he did it in about an hour and a half. And I reckon my fourth playthrough... I reckon I probably did in about two hours and I didn't do any of the glitching tricks to take mad shortcuts and do a few things out of order. It's just brilliant. It's just so fun to play. Like, I would love it if From Software made a sequel. Shadows die thrice. I think they could do more with the setup, more with the world and with its lore. They could branch out. Like, obviously one of the big things in the game is the fact that you just fight with one weapon and yeah they could maybe branch out into different weapons shake up the combat a little bit there'd be you know a few more options in there maybe introduce a few more skills and the different prosthetics that you get but i mean to be honest i just i love the relative simplicity and focus that this game has and its singular vision of how you need to play it which when you get your head and thumbs around it it's just so so much fun and the way the combat works means that it's never not incredibly satisfying no matter how many hundreds and thousands of times you correctly counter a move and uh, you know perform like a death blow finally take down a boss with one last shinobi flourish it never gets old and that's why i had no problem <laughs> playing it four five times uh, through <laughs> back to back to back to back to back so rather than waste time in a future episode talking about everything i've spoken about in the last few weeks of playing sekiro and because it's Jonathan Dunweek, all week, <laughs> every week. No, it's. Uh, I'm going to find a place for it in my list now. Oh, double bubble. I know, I know. I mean, to be honest, like all I would do is take up another week of and, and just repeat myself. So, yeah, let's find a bloody place for it. Number one. In the wake of Elden Ring coming out, there's been a few people trying to rank all of the From Software Souls-like games. 
um, now that you know they can put Elden Ring in it. And I saw this one list that put Sekiro at the bottom of the list and citing the reason that it didn't have any real role-playing game elements oh. and saying that, that was why it was ranked below everything else. And it's probably because it's not a role-playing game. Hmm. It's an out-and-out action game. It's not pretending to be a role-playing game. It's linear in the way it's asking you to play it. And if you don't buy into it, then, you know, yeah, you're kind of fucked because you can't just rethink things and maybe go for a magic build or, you know, go and find a certain set of armor to help you beat a certain boss. I don't think that's a downside to the game at all because it really just doubles down on what it's offering. You know, like Mario Kart 8 doesn't have any RPG elements to it. It doesn't stop that being the archetype of the kart racing genre. (laughs) Certainly as a third-person pure action game, Sekiro is just the best you can play. And... I think it's going to go in my list at number 20 for now. Ooh, it's a top very, very 20 high. game. Where does Sekiro rank as a kart racer? Uh, it's it's not up there. <laughs> it's not up there as a kart racer. I'll be honest. Chocobo GP pips that one. <laughs> uh, I, I still haven't played it, so I couldn't say for sure. But I do know that Garfield kart is below it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah. we got a metric there. we got a yardstick. <laughs> In terms of what's leaving my list to make room for Sekiro, I'm I'm going to do a double execution at the end of the episode. Ooh. So uh, so stay tuned, stay tuned for that. After putting forty thousand hours into Sekiro and Elden Ring on the Steam Deck, what is next on the docket for you, Jonathan Dunn? Well, given the fact that I can't play Bloodborne on it, uh, I I, <laughs> <laughs> I have I have downloaded that onto my PS5 now. <laughs> I just got I have no idea where I'm going to find the time to do that. To be honest, because it's yeah, the pick up and playability of the Steam Deck is is why I've managed to to put those hours into those games. But I I have downloaded on your recommendations, and I didn't get further than just just the section of games beginning with G, because <laughs> I, I I got a Ghost Runner in my latest Humble Bundle subscription. Oh, lovely! And I downloaded lovely. that, and I've had a, I've started having a play of that, and it's brilliant. Yeah. It's like really really good. It's it's hard, and it, it requires some good first person console controls. <laughs> it's a good practice one for you. <laughs> it it really is because it's like you know like I said with Sekiro, it basically says you need to play the game like this. If you don't you're not going to enjoy it so deal with it and i'm trying my best to deal with it and i am having a really good time and it looks and runs beautifully on the steam deck it's uh like you said it's 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 similar to something like super meat boy but it's got the relentless looping especially involving the combat makes it feel more like something like hotline miami oh, but yeah, in first yeah. person so it's great for like a few blasts but i am countering that with the other game beginning with g that i bought on your recommendation which is grow uh, song of the Evertree, the the lovely pseudo sequel to yonder i feel incredibly vindicated every time i make a suggestion and then someone else buys it <laughs> we, we, we've had a little bit recently where every day it seems someone on our patreon exclusive discord people yeah someone pops up to say oh i'm giving forager a go or oh i, I thought i'd uh I thought I'd install that weird game you mentioned the other week. Yeah. And, and it's lovely. I feel I feel really good. I'm an influencer, everyone. You are. You are. Uh, you can take that to the bank. And uh, yeah, I've put a few hours into, into Grow already, and it's lovely. Lovely and whimsical. It's nice to look at. It's got a nice sort of satisfying, simple gameplay. And it's uh, very much a... Uh, well, certainly tonal whiplash from Ghost Runner, <laughs> which is a good thing, uh, because I'll do like a few loops of, of Ghost Runner and then be like, well, I'm not killing anyone ever. And then uh, I'll, I'll go and plant some seeds and have a lovely time. In your initial few hours play, yeah. do you think Grow is better or, or not as good as Yonder? Honestly, I think it's a lot, for, it's a lot more different than I thought it was going to be. At the moment, I haven't really found anything beyond the kind of the fairly simple 
town management building yeah. and cultivating some some things and stuff there isn't that sense of, of adventure that you have in yonder yeah. but but i could be wrong there because i've really got a sense of what the game is asking me to do or how how i need to play it yeah it's a slow burn i think in yeah. that it continues to introduce new elements for quite a few hours from the start mm. which which for some people those games kind of really wind mm. them up where it's just like just fucking tell me what to do and let me do it <laughs> but I, I think because there's a lot of interlocking kind of subtle systems and it, it actually paces itself reasonably well that i found when i was playing it whenever i was getting kind of bored of the loop that had been established something else was introduced to, to break it up yeah so as you go forwards, you, you do get a bit more kind of agency over where you're going to go and kind of the adventure part of it as the map starts to expand. Yeah. When you get kind of a bit tired of the, the kind of the growing and harvesting part in your kind of sky islands, mm. you get given the option to, to let little guys come and do some of that for you mm. to take away kind of the, the humdrum round and round of, of those actions. So I'm quite happy with how it's paced, even if, like I said, I would prefer more just straight out go for a walk yeah. <laughs> uh, in every game, to be honest, yeah, like Yonder had. But I think for some people that maybe found that a bit too aimless, maybe Grow is like the perfect antidote mm. once you're fully invested kind of five, six hours into to everything it has to offer. Yeah, there we go. But I'm really happy that I've got those two games on the go on my, my Steam Deck. And uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted with, with how I get on with both of those uh, going forward. Lovely. Chris, what have you played this week? Ghost Runner? Grow? No, no Ghost Runner this week. And, uh, well, a little bit of Grow, but we've mentioned that, so we'll, we'll move away <laughs> from that. I'll tell you what I've not played. For for the first week, I've not played any Elden Ring this week. Oh, you bitch! Ow. <laughs> it's not because I'm done. I'm not finished. I'm not even particularly stuck, to be honest, at the moment. It's just, it's not been the thing that my head has needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes games fulfil a very particular role for people. And when I've got lots of free time, I'd have far more chance to really invest myself in something like Elden Ring that I knew was going to be banging your head against it to a point, a bit of attrition before you made progress. But I've, I've had a busy work week. I've had other responsibilities and things. And as much as I enjoy Elden Ring, as much as I know it's a very good game, so I'm not saying it's done or anything like that, it just felt too gruelling to sit down and play for my stolen half hours in the evening. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's odd. Like sometimes, you know, when your head feels weird like not ill weird constantly not, yes. not a headache or anything like that <laughs> but it just it feels a bit odd and i've had a bit of that lately i sort of like a background confusion or dissatisfaction or something it's really hard to articulate maybe it's a midlife crisis you know <laughs> but it's, it's meant that i've wanted to go back to something that is more comforting like something i know a bit better something i don't have to kind of think as much about so similar to how you've been playing ghost runner and grow I've kind of done like two ends of a spectrum on the things I've played this week. So on one end, I have played a bit of 2016's New Doom. Oh yeah. You know, I was inspired by Minty talking about Quake the other week. And, you know, it acts as a bit of stress relief because it is a game about power fantasy, really. Mm. And it's been a while since I whacked this one on, but playing a few levels of it on the Switch, as you mentioned the other week, Jonathan, it's, it's a very strong port, a very strong game. Ridiculous. <laughs> and everything we talked about that week, you know, the speed and intensity of that title, it's all maintained pretty much whatever platform you play the game on. Yes, it's going to be sharper, it's going to be higher frames per second, everything else on better machines, but the Switch, it still works really well. And it's not a relaxing game in the traditional sense because it's very fast paced, but it is a comforting game, like I mentioned, because when you play on a low difficulty level, you're an absolute machine. <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the mythos of that game is that you are the Doom Slayer and the demons are actively scared of you. <laughs> and, and it's bore out so well, like in the aesthetics of it, in the, in the soundtrack, in the speed and the movement, and in the over-the-top glory kills. And when you play it in little half-hour chunks, it's just a nice little 
temporary kind of boost. <laughs> you know, so the endorphins are firing around and you smash stuff up and you kill some enemies and, and you feel quite good. And, and that's been nice to play. I played most of it originally on the PS4 back when it launched, but it is genuinely impressive that, you know, even with a few cutbacks to get it running on the Switch, this is 2016's Doom on a handheld. And as much as we can now compare it to something like the Steam Deck, which is a monster of a machine in terms of specs by comparison, the Switch is a mobile piece of tech. We, we say this all the time. It's basically 10-year-old mobile tech at this point. And it's bananas that this runs at all. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely one of those games to put in the impossible port section of the library. Because, yeah, it's not Ultra HD or anything like that, but it's the feel of the game perfectly replicated on a platform that should not be able to play it. <laughs> yeah. The other game I've played a, a decent lick of in between other tasks has been Fantasy Star Online. Oh, yeah. The Dreamcast yeah. version this time. <laughs> but, but playing it via emulation. I've mentioned Retro Achievements before. It's a site that will link RetroArch or a few other emulators to their website, and it basically reads the memory addresses of the games you are playing to reward you with Xbox-style achievements in old titles. And the Dreamcast got added semi-recently as a platform that it supported, and one of the members of the community had written a nice little achievement set for the offline mode of Fantasy Star, so I'm not playing online this time. But all of them are just tied to really simple tasks like finishing certain quests or, or leveling up to a certain point or finding a certain weapon. And as much as it's really fun with other people, and that's the way I played it originally, and that's kind of what made me put it in my list when, when I stuck it in, I just really like the simple grind of this game, even playing it solo. Every mission you play has you essentially visit a location that you've probably seen a hundred times at that point, <laughs> remixes it a bit with, with some loot and locked doors and alternative pathways and enemies, and you're just waltzing through until you find a specific NPC or a specific item, or you kill a certain amount of monsters or whatever. And then once your character has leveled up once or twice from a cold boot, you can almost play it on autopilot because you've got to a stage where you can mitigate enough damage with your armor and defense for that early game that taking a hit isn't the end of the world. And that's the point I enjoy it most because it's engaging enough and varied enough not to be boring, but it's simple enough that I'm not really having to consider anything. <laughs> it just It's happening and making me feel good, but my brain is not having to do that much work. It's process, but it's satisfying process. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because you might have to consider a tiny bit of like your sword swings. There is a very basic rhythm mechanic to it that boosts damage, but even then it doesn't matter. <laughs> and you might want to manage your inventory load because you only hold so many things, but it's it's not like having to consider your poise and weapon weight loadout in Elden Ring because in, in Fantasy Star, I can play for an hour, I can make some numbers go up and then I can save and just come back another time. I haven't got any better or worse for being away from it. Whereas Elden Ring, I know going back in a week or so's time, <laughs> I won't even know what the run button is anymore. <laughs> Took me 20 hours to learn it the first time. <laughs> Fantasy Star really excels because the combat is, like I said, it's, it's simple but satisfying. And that's probably why it was so popular back in the early 2000s on the Dreamcast as well, because you have to remember this game was being played primarily over 56k modems, <laughs> and there's, there's a limit to how much data can feasibly be transferred over that connection. So there's not loads of things to keep track of. And in any fight, you're only really maneuvering around a small arena, twisting your character, though not the camera, because there was no right stick on the Dreamcast, so you, you, <laughs> you can't really do much with a camera. And then you're just recentering the camera behind you with a little button, taking a few shots at an enemy and then moving around again. So it's a bit of simple space management, a bit of, like I said, very simple sort of rhythm to your button presses to, to do the most damage. And then they fall down and you do it again. And uh, I think it's it's been the perfect game for a fuzzy head, whatever that represents to me as a 35-year-old man. <laughs> and, and that's that. That's that. That's what I played. Lovely stuff. 
So, do you guys uh, want to hear what my actual amendment is this week? Yeah. Are you going to have a bit of fun with this and immediately push out Sekiro for this? <laughs> like, I mean, absolutely not. But also, honestly, I think that because Elden Ring's a bastard and it came along after I'd sort of planned these amendments, I am going to have to find another game to push out, which may well may end up being something that I've, I'd put in in my amendments. I don't know. Nothing safe <laughs> is what I'm saying. Nothing safe. I, I'm, I am very much sort of making these choices on a week-by-week basis. So, yeah, no, nothing is safe, apart from Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's going fucking nowhere. To the moon! <laughs> so... This is the main focal point for the episode today. The main event. Uh, which, it might surprise you, is not my frankly mentally ill playthroughs of Sekiro. I'm actually going to talk about another game that I absolutely love, and you'll have to wait to find out if I loved it more or less than Sekiro. It's less, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you'll have heard me and Chris wax lyrical about The Witness many times before. Mm-hmm. And the thing that that game did so mind-blowingly well was create a sense of organic discovery that led you through the game without making it feel like you were being led at all. I'm still blown away by how that was accomplished. That extraordinary sense of atmosphere that the game creates in the beauty of its world and the creativity of its design that makes you want to explore it. The subtle signposting that makes you feel like you found the solution even though it's been invisibly spoon-fed to you. It's pretty much unparalleled and certainly not bettered. But my amendment today is the closest I felt to that sense of adventure and discovery that Jonathan Blow created in The Witness. And that was in the beautiful chamber piece indie game, Outer Wilds. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I like your soft tone there. It's, <laughs> it's a beautiful vocal cradling of a game. <laughs> Alan's deep bath. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan's Outer Wild. <laughs> so the premise of Outer Wilds is is quite small and contained. You are an alien inhabiting a small solar system of a few planets orbiting a dying sun. And uh, not dying in the Sylvia Plath sense or, you know, the Stephen Hawking sense that our sun is dying but won't actually die for another billion years. This sun is about 22 minutes away from dying. Uh, I say about I mean, exactly 22 minutes and you have... 22 minutes to figure out a way to save the inhabitants of this solar system. Nice, short game. 22 minutes, you're done. More than enough time to save the world when you think about it. (laughs) But of course, it's not enough time when you think about it. Fortunately, this solar system is home to a whole realm of temporal and spatial anomalies, meaning that you can actually exist, meaning that you actually exist in a 22-minute loop where when the sun explodes and it will explode, you simply wake up at the start of the loop and go again. Each time, the loop is exactly the same, apart from what knowledge exists in your brain that you can apply, perhaps slightly differently, in each loop you exist through. And so much like The Witness, it's your own brain that's levelling up as you progress through the game. Nothing else changes except your knowledge and subsequent perception of the world around you. Then you set about trying to figure out what the hell is going on, and what you can do about it. And that leads you to explore all the different planets that are orbiting this star, the different satellites, natural satellites, like moons and artificial ones stuck in orbit. And all of these planets have different mechanics. By mechanics, I mean physics. 
uh, by physics, I mean quantum physics, and uh, I've always been fascinated by the concepts of quantum mechanics, but there are some enormous ideas that are just so, so difficult to articulate and explain. It's very rare to find these types of ideas presented in a digestible way, certainly let alone a fun way, and uh, and Elsa Wilds has quite probably the best depiction of quantum mechanics and how that works in terms of perception of reality, the state in which things exist when observed and unobserved, how perspective changes. It's mind-bending to witness and, and quite frankly, head-spinning to comprehend. But figuring out the rules of this universe is all part of finding your way through it. There's a planet that is basically just a shell, and your physics are controlled by the singularity at its core that is causing it to collapse. There's a planet that is covered in a raging storm that can send its land masses into orbit if they are caught in a water spout. There's a planet where time ceases to exist as you pass through small portals to navigate its mists. There's a planet where the inside of it is in pitch darkness, and yep, you can illuminate it with your torch, but your position and the state of all the pieces of existence inside it will also alter if you stop looking at them. Or, you know, turning away or switching your torch off. There are two planets in close proximity where the granular surface material from one is caught in the gravitational field of the other and will migrate across the planets during the course of this time loop. But this is just the setting, and much like The Witness, you are plonked in a stunning but slightly baffling setting without much of a clue of where to start. But the clues you are given in Outer Wilds are nothing short of magical. You're basically given this sort of, I don't know, radio transmitter telescope type device that you can use to scan the universe for signals that might be relevant to you. You're told that there are some fellow beings from your home planet that are out there somewhere. And if you're quiet, you can hear the sound of them playing their musical instruments. And it's just this beautiful melody that you know from the main title screen, uh, but you never get bored of it because it's a melody that's not just nice to listen to and, and audibly delightful, but it's the sound of lost friends. It's the sound of hope. It's the sound of life. It's the sound of memories. And you can focus your apparatus to, to tune out the noise and, and find the signal of these friends. Just this this lovely music floating across the space waves. And the music in this game is beautiful as well, at times deeply atmospheric, making you feel the cold and isolation of deep space, and then warm and homely as you wander around the inhabited parts of your planet. And if you find your way to the end of the 22-minute loop to witness the end of this universe, the music that comes in and and, and the spectacle of the event and the weight of the moment, it, it never gets old. You don't always make it to the end of the loop, because unlike The Witness, you can die! And uh, you can actually die quite easily, especially as uh, you get to grips with piloting your little spacecraft. And oh, I think, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an element of the game that means it's not quite as welcoming uh, as it could be. And yes, Chris, you will attest to that. Yep. <laughs> I personally don't think that's anything wrong with the controls or the mechanics of the flying, because I, I got my head around them, and having such specific control over your ship is is the reason why this little solar system feels so incredibly solid, real, and connected, because you're not just scrolling through a menu and saying, you know, set coordinates to this planet and go, whilst you get a load screen and a tooltip. You have to manually fly your way around everywhere, 
and it's always quite thrilling when you, you blast off for the first time and you rise up off the ground and you start to see the curvature of your home planet and you just keep going and you keep going and then you glimpse another celestial body and you adjust your trajectory to point towards it and then you enter its atmosphere, you adjust your thrusters, spot a place to land, switch to your undercarriage camera to control your landing and then you hop out and explore a whole new world. It's just the most incredible sense of adventure and exploration and it, it brings with it all the danger and the tension of what that means it is just it's a beautiful beautiful game and hopefully what i've done is tease a bit of information about it to hopefully intrigue anybody who's listening to to, to give it a go because that sense of discovery it's it's an extraordinary journey to go on i'm a little sore that i haven't found time to get back to it to check out the dlc steam deck which came out end of last year i think steam deck i know that's meant to be excellent and also quite scary which uh, i'm intrigued by because i think like confronting the realities of quantum anomalies staring into the darkness of the literal void is pure existential horror uh, and i really want to see what they've done with that so i do need to make some time to revisit that and, and see what it adds to the to the wonderful experience that this game gave me so where is it going in my list? Well, number one? Uh, well, I think it's a very special game. It's one of three that I've immortalised in a canvas print on the wall of my office uh, alongside The Witness and another game that is yet to feature on my amendments. So you know I hold it in very high regard, certainly for you know how special the gaming experience that it gave me was. I'd say, like Sekiro, it's a top 20 game. But I think for now, I'm going to put it just below Sekiro at number 21. This may change when I get a chance to play the DLC before our final evaluation. It may jump up a few places. And obviously, Sekiro has the benefit of being very fresh in my mind. But Outer Wilds absolutely deserves its place very high up on my list. As for what's leaving, which two games have their head on the block? Double execution. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Well, I mentioned earlier uh, that Mario Kart 8 is the archetype of the kart racing genre, and that's absolutely right. It's not going anywhere. And even though at the time I argued to have both the Game Boy Advance's Mario Kart Super Circuit and Mario Kart DS in my list as separate entries because of what both of those games mean to me, Mm. there's really no room for all three games to be in here. Yeah, ruthless. So ruthless. I'm going to send Mario Kart Super Circuit and Mario Kart DS down... Rainbow Road for the final time, <laughs> off the edge of the track and into the darkness of oblivion. Death. And uh, I, I, I joyfully welcome both Sekiro and Outer Wilds into my list. Lovely. I had a little look um, on the eShop and you, I, it doesn't look like you can get it in this country. Is that a thing? It hasn't been launched on uh, on Switch yet, I don't think. Oh, is it not? It was announced in the Direct ages ago, wasn't it? Uh, well... But I think you're right. I'm not sure if it's actually come out yet. Oh, it says, release date summer 2021. This content is not available to purchase in the country associated with the Nintendo account. Mm, I think that's just a, a weird error message because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's it's not come out on the Switch yet. Yeah, I think it is because it's, it definitely hasn't been... That's Google. Yeah. Um, oh, it's TBD according to the Wikipedia. It's lovely. It's really lovely. And I think it'd be a really nice fit, actually, for the Switch. Tasty. Oh, especially if you can play it on an OLED. Oh. Tasty. Mm. 
Chris, do you think you'll ever go back to it? I know you uh, you fell foul of, of your own digits trying to pilot a spaceship. I hope so. I think there's an element of the the need to get good at an element of that game to really kind of start to enjoy it. Mm. That is, is similar in a way to something like Elden Ring. It doesn't have as long kind of lead in as that has had for me. And, and I'm sure with a few hours play, I could get the hang of the Outer Wilds enough to, to get into it properly. Yeah. But sometimes games are just a casualty of the time that you were playing them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And for whatever reason when I tried that before I had a good 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 whack for a day or two and then for whatever reason I just I just stepped back and that was enough to then make me not start again yeah what I did enjoy though I bought the soundtrack on vinyl oh, <laughs> that's in the shelves so, so you're absolutely right that it's quite a um friendly and warm and cozy but there's just like a, a sadness to it as well yeah the, the main theme in that game yeah I think uh it's it's distance and kind of an inner closeness all at once and it's uh, beautiful very nice very nice so there you have it. That was my amendment for this week. Sorry, amendments for this week. Your and they GG. were Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, and Outer Wilds, Space Dies Infinite Times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do check out our website, o3c.games, for uh, loads of our articles, videos, and older podcast content. You can also support us if you go to the support page on there. You can donate a little bit to us via PayPal if you want to give us a one-off donation to say thanks very much. Or you can check out our Patreon page. Uh, there's links to it on the website. You can go to patreon.com slash O3C Games. There's loads of brilliant perks available there for several tiers of pledging. And uh, yeah, we'd love to welcome you into our Patreon-exclusive Discord server and uh, would very much appreciate any sort of support that you can give us. You can reach us on all social media at O3C Games as well. Do chat to us. Tell us what you're playing. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you think of these games. You can reach out to us individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. Ooh. And please do join us next week where Minty will be amending his list even further. Creme de Monf. Yeah, maybe I'll do three games. Oh. Why not? Cheeky chappy. <laughs> sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor do you love japan and video games well so do we we're kinsey and mark from kyoto indie devs chuhai labs join us twice monthly for games silly japan news and all-around nonsense we stink at making commercials <laughs> we've got this one bro be sure to stop by the chuhai labs discord to chat about our games or ask us questions chuhai labs and the nasty labs podcast we're legally the best. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell, around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games, that's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000, because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000. Now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Do you play games on the PC? Then make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the numpad and function keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection, up to 100 hours of battery life, and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless. Keep your setup clean and clutter free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste 
wireless mouse.